the incomparable. Number 374, October 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here. I'm convening an episode of our book club. It's a very special episode. It's got an unusual set of uh, a panelists in the sense that you must have read seven books to ride this ride. This is, and I, I, I foreshadowed this on a previous episode, this is the single episode of The Incomparable that required me to do the most pre-work in order to do this episode. Because yes, a year ago, I bought the books required to read the entire seven-volume Stephen King's The Dark Tower series. And I finished volume seven about a week ago, or maybe a week and a half ago, on my vacation. So a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, pages, a lot of words, according to wikipedia uh, something around four thousand pages uh leads to this point where we're going to talk about the books we're not talking about the movie although dan has seen the movie so maybe he will share some thoughts about that that's a that's a spoiler alert uh dan warren is here hi dan i'll just introduce you now hi dan uh hi jason long days and pleasant nights yes uh i also need to uh welcome erica ensign hello hello i am looking forward to this palaver and John Syracuse as well, the man in you black. Spent a year reading this. I feel like I spent my whole life reading this series. Well, the funny thing is, I actually read The Gunslinger when it came out, more or less, or when it came out in paperback. Did it come out in, in something before paperback? I read it in the eighties, the original edition of it, and wow. I, I actually read Drawing of the Three. And I think I read The Wastelands, but I definitely read the first two books in the series, and then that was. It maybe it was I read the ones that that because he wrote Gunslinger was in eighty two they they I think republished it right before Drawing of the Three came out in eighty seven and the Wastelands came out in ninety one and I believe that somewhere in there is where I stopped it's also it was another six years before he wrote book four and another six years before he wrote book five so <laughs> eat you your heart you out George R. R Martin yeah you could <laughs> you could see how you might drop off there so I did actually read part of the series before but but he wrote like 20 of books between then though but so. I reread all of them for this project so uh let's talk about before we dive in and talk about the books and what happens and why these are really interesting and this is an interesting series I'm wondering if anybody has any opening statements John I didn't but i'll i'll just give a, a a tiny one here so this he started writing this series of books in the year i was born um and i i said before that it feels like i waited my whole life for this series obviously i didn't start reading them the day i was born um but i did pick up the gunslinger <laughs> around about the time you would imagine that a, a kid would first be interested in this type of thing i think i was maybe preteen, but but close uh and uh i I, you know, I read them more or less as they came out. And as you mentioned, the long wait between the books. Um, and he almost died before he finished the series. Yeah. I remember Dan talking about his cousins yeah. for one, fearing that they, uh, she would die before Return of the Jedi came out. This was uh, my experience of this series of books that it seemed like an epic story that spanned my entire life that started being started uh, writing the year I was born and it looked for all the world like he was just never going to finish the series and then he almost died and so I feel like the drama outside of the series of books it was just the story that I want to see the end of and the fact that you know as, as we all know and as we all discuss how it ended up uh, how we ended up wrapping up the series were uh, incorporating him almost dying yeah it's very strange but when i think when i think on this series of books and we're going to talk about what's in the books and and why why they're interesting and everything like stephen king is my favorite author 
And this series is like the keystone, not the keystone world, the keystone for the <laughs> entire Stephen King universe and also kind of the keystone to my entire reading life as it revolves around Stephen King. So in typical Dark Tower fashion, this is this giant circle that connects my entire <laughs> life and books and Stephen King. So as I am not the, a person who did uh, who, who, who read these over time, I read a few and then dropped off and then just did this for this podcast. Dan and Erica, I'd like to hear from both of you about what your, you know, how, how you managed, what, when you found them, when you read them. I'm interested in that story. I, boy, oh boy. <laughs> Mine is not the nice, perfect circle that John's is, but it was it was quite a trek in and of itself. Um, I don't even know the first time I wrote, I read The Gunslinger. My brother and my dad were really into it. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll try this out. And I read it and I thought it was, I, I didn't really dig it all that much. And I had kind of sort of bought into the, the anti-hype that Stephen King was not a good writer and just kind of a hack. So I wasn't really interested in reading any of his stuff. And I didn't really like that very much. So I didn't go back to it again for a while. But at some point I read The Stand and fell in love with it. Um, as mm-hmm. you can hear on incomparable episode something or other, um, yep. and <laughs> I don't know the numbers off 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 the top of my head. <laughs> what? But, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Two ten. I'm such a such a disappointment. It's episode two hundred and ten, Erica. Of course you yes. knew that. You just uh, I did. I didn't want to show anybody else up. That's all it was. Um, and I loved the stand so much, and I was like, okay, wow, this guy actually is a pretty good writer. Maybe I should give give that series another chance because you know my brother had gone on and just was talking like he, very very glowingly about the rest of them. So being the nerd that I am, I was like, okay, I need to start over at the beginning because I can't just jump to the second book, even though I read the first one. So I read the first book again, and then I read the second book, and I actually did enjoy the second book a lot more. And I can't remember if I got all the way into the third book. I may have actually gotten to that point. And life happened, and I stopped and didn't come back to it for a while. And finally, I was like, oh, right, I was going to read the Dark Tower books. That's a, that's a thing I need to do years later. So eventually, I was like, well, I don't remember what happened. Let's start over again. So I read The Gunslinger again and then read books two and three. And I don't actually know how many times that happened. Um, but I do know that I, I eventually got up through Wizard and Glass um, and then stopped for many years because at that first at first there was no other book to read um but then as he started coming out with more books eventually i still just didn't get back to it so i yeah in the end had to go all the way back read did all you, of them the horn with you this yeah, time? damn it john beat me too i was trying not to interrupt and john beat me to that joke yeah so i i did actually end up reading the final um i think all of the final books after wizarding glass yeah, all in in sort of one run, but it wasn't like a quick run. There were there was like you know gaps in between those books as well. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was a big deal. I was very proud of myself when I finally finished it. It's a lot of pages. I was proud of Stephen King too. I'll just say mm. that. Dan, what about you? What's your history with this series? So interestingly, um, so yeah, John said he. Um, King started writing it the year he was born. I think my so my cousin Tim is sort of a pivotal figure in this. He's a couple years older than me, and so he was born probably about a year before I think the first uh, beginning of the, the Gunslinger was uh, published. Um, and he is a huge Stephen King fan. When I was growing, when we were growing up, he was always reading Stephen King stuff. And I am not a horror person, so I had kind of shied away since so mm. much of Stephen King stuff is in the horror genre. And so for years, he started telling me though, like, because he knew I was in the science fiction fantasy, and he was also read from those genres as well. But he's like, oh, you got to read The Gunslinger; you're gonna love it. 
And I kept kind of putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And finally, in my mid twenties or so, um, I finally, you know, sort of broke down. I think maybe it was because, you know, at that point, this would have been two thousand four or five. So around the time the series was wrapping up, and so it seemed like it was actually going to be a complete series. I was looking for something to read and really sink into, and and so I picked up the Gunslinger from my local library and I read it, and I just kind of kept going from there. So I read the whole thing at a stretch uh in the point you know in the span of i don't know probably probably like nine months Hmm. maybe a year Uh, and i remember being in several different like i have very vivid memories of being in certain places while i read certain books um like i remember have a very vivid memory of being at my uncle's lake house when i read drawing of the three and at a place in lake champlain reading parts of the wasteland and being on a plane going somewhere and reading wizarding glass like just all these different places like i have very strong memories attached with them um and so i really just sort of devoured this series over the course of like a year or so and to me it really resonated in a way because of its sort of overall epic nature. And to me, as someone who's a big fan of like epic stuff like Star Wars or what have you, like this was just, I was so fascinated by what he was doing here. And I think I've concluded that like looking back when I finished this series and even as I was reading it, especially as you get into the later books, the, I I never really considered ever wanting to do any sort of postgraduate studies. It was just not something that interested me. But I reading these books, I was like, there is so much going on here. I could easily imagine sitting down and trying to write like a dissertation or something on the Dark Tower. And I'm sure many people have. But to me, it seemed like a a text that was so interesting that I could really dive into it. And there would be a lot of fascinating things to sort of untangle about the metafictional elements of that and and the different genre hopping, etc. So it really spoke to me. And even though I've only read it once, and it was 10 years ago at this point, um, and I'm sure I will have to look up many things as, during the <laughs> course of this podcast <laughs> it's still it still sits in a very like specific place there are scenes i remember very well imagery i remember very well and it's i would rank it very high on my list of series that i just tremendously enjoyed and i'm not sure i like i thought when we first started talking about doing this episode that i might go back and reread some of it and i just haven't had time i read much mm-hmm. slower than i used to but i i think it is a series that i will want to revisit someday from start to finish yeah, I, I I actually just looked <laughs> once I finally finished it. I, I wrote a blog post about it, which is a thing that I do very rarely. So I'm able to tell that it was actually May of 2015 that mm. I finally finished yeah. the entire thing. So that's a long yeah, ago. not that long ago. That's right. All right, we're buddies, you and me. Recent, yep, this decade. Um, mm-hmm. But we're we're not gonna so we're not gonna spoil things quite yet. Although we will do that at some point. So if you're somebody who is sort of like intrigued, uh, wants to hear more about why we're into this uh, stuff and why we're talking about it, but doesn't want to uh, have their their reading journey ruined, we will tr- we will try to save you for a little while and then we will blow the uh, the spoiler horn, which will make the Dark Tower fall. And then all of we will enter a, a dark domain of uh, spoilers or something. Uh, but before we get there, genre hopping is something that Dan mentioned. And I think that's actually one of the things that's really interesting about this. Stephen King is, of course, famous for being a horror writer. But one of the interesting things about this series, if somebody said to me, OK, Dark Tower, why do I want to read this? What What is it? What kind of book is it? Is it, is it a horror series like uh, like Stephen King is famous for? I would say no. But what is it? It's starts out as kind of a western fantasy and yet it's got science fiction elements to it it does have horror elements to it it's got um you know it's got uh 
you know, it, it, I, if I had to pick one genre, I think I would say fantasy, but it's not the fantasy that you think of as like high fantasy with, mm-hmm. there are wizards, all right, okay, <laughs> but it's not that kind of thing because there's also, you know, gunslingers and there are robots and stuff. But it's a, it's a, I think one of the interesting traits of this series that it is such a mishmash of genres and Stephen King's having a lot of fun kind of squishing all the genres together in this big, on this big canvas that he's using to tell this story. Well, and let's not forget that it was inspired, of course, also by a British poem in part from the 19th Mm -hmm. century, uh, Mm -hmm. Child Roland to the Dark Tower Came by Robert Browning. And so, you know, like, that's such a weird place for it to go and then absorb all these different elements from Western to science fiction. And obviously, I think the thing that got me, the part where I became very... uh, it became very apparent to me that the genre hopping was not because like there's a contextual element, right? Like I started reading a bunch of these books and thinking, Oh, these books written so long ago. And then you get to like, you know, later on books where there's stuff that's very, was very pop culture related at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're like, wait a second. All of a sudden I'm reading something that's referencing like the present day almost. And for (laughs) me, that was so jarring at the point, but cause like I, you know, as someone who read them all after the series was done more or less, I didn't have to live through that whole, like, you know, th- what John described there, right? Of, like, worrying would he finish the book or not, like, and, like, waiting for the books to come out, etc. So, I, I was a very interesting jump there. But I really enjoy the genre hopping. And it makes more and more sense as the books go along, too, because it has to do with the very nature of this story that he's telling. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really appealed to me about it was the fact that, as I said, The Stand was the first Stephen King book that I kind of fell in love with. And as I got to a certain point in the Dark Tower series, there's like a tiny little crossover between oh, yeah. The Stand and it. And mm-hmm. like, it, it's not an important thing if you're reading The Stand and have never read The Dark Tower. Like, you're, you're not going to notice it and it's not going to make a bit of difference. But if you have, it's one of those things where you're like, oh my God, this is mind blowing for, for somebody who wasn't used to to that kind of crossover stuff in books. And then I discovered that there are actually a bunch of his other books that had crossovers um, to one degree or another. So one of the gaps between me reading one of the books and the other, I don't know if it was between like the third and the fourth or the fourth and the fifth, was me just trying to read as many of his other novels that had somewhat significant crossovers. And just the idea that I was getting all of these stories that the stories themselves were not particularly related to, to what's happening um, in in this epic series here, but I am getting things that kind of cast shadows or have reflections or echoes that kind of make a difference. But I'm also getting some really, for the most part, uh, really interesting and really good stories that um, that I just probably wouldn't have read otherwise. So that was another fun thing. I, I really like it when you have sort of an expanded canon or like a universe that all fits together, even if you don't recognize it at first. So that was kind of like catnip for me. So the uh, the genre mashup thing, if you had to describe to somebody, I mean, you just did like sci-fi, Western uh, fantasy, mm-hmm. it reads almost like bad fan fiction. It's like, what if I was a wizard, but I had a lightsaber and then and then I would be in the old West, right? Like it and the, the, the amazing thing about The Gunslinger, especially because it's such an it's such an odd book. I mean, I, I had a uh, Scott Wendell wanted us to mention that he uh, that he read the first book. And I asked him what he thought of it. Partial credit, Scott. Yeah, I asked him. I asked him <laughs> what he thought partial. of it, and he said, "Not what I expected." Um, and I don't know what I expected from a book called The Gunslinger. Mm-hmm. I read it in like the like big paperback or whatever, but it had a very very cool artwork of the Clint Eastwood looking guy with the gun, and you assume maybe it's going to be some kind of Western thing, but. The, the magic of the mashup, I feel like, is 
only because I was on this podcast that I start to think, well, it's like, you know, a combination of these different genres. When done well, and I think it's done very well here, instead of reading like fan fiction where you're pretending you're, you know, you're Luke, Luke Skywalker in a Western with a wizard hat, uh, he makes this his own. Like, The Gunslinger to me doesn't feel like a combination of three genres I'm familiar with. It mm. feels like a genre uh, in and of itself. And mm. it is the, the Dark Tower genre. And me being an apocalyptic person and also The Stand being my uh, my my first favorite uh, Stephen King book, I think of The Gunslinger, when I think of The Gunslinger when I started reading it as, oh, it's the end of the world story. Because this dude's wandering around and pretty much everybody's dead or gone or messed up and the world is all weird. Um, and so that's in the mix as well. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like in this chapter or this scene, until maybe a couple of later books, it doesn't feel like you're, it's stuck in any particular genre. I think the later books go, one of the books goes way Western and a couple of the books go sort of more horror fantasy. But in the beginning, it just feels like this coherent world of this epic story. And, you know, that's that's a testament to, like, the difference between, you know, uh, you know whatever it is, great artist steal, good artist copy or borrow or whatever, it is so much greater than the sum of its parts. So if it sounds dumb to you, like the like the thing I just described, don't don't be afraid of the book because I feel, I feel like it it hangs together way more than you think it should. It's it's mm-hmm. funny though when you say that because when I think about like reading the Gunslinger and then moving on to the next book, I felt like okay, the Gunslinger, you know, not to dive too deeply, but like is the one that I felt like the least like reading it. It's a very uh it's a very like vague book in some ways like i find that much less concrete um and and jumping then to drawing of the three i feel like stylistically sometimes i never quite knew what to expect jumping into another book even though i agree it is coherent because of the genre hopping and even because his style is evolving over the course of the you know decades he spent writing this it can be kind of surprising to pick up a different book, you know, another the next book in the series and think this feels like a different, like it's recognizably the same world and yet feels different in mm-hmm. some ways. Because I remember reading Drawing the Three, which is my personal favorite, and just being like, uh, wow, okay, this is not what I would have expected after reading The Gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Because it just seemed to take this left turn <laughs> and just like stylistically <laughs> and plot wise, right? Like, it's not what Stephen King expected either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, fair, the gunslinger, fair. The Gunslinger is, I think, vague in... that. I really, I know a lot of people read it like, oh, the Gunslinger is weird, but don't worry, get past it. The rest of the, the story is good. I really like the Gunslinger yeah. because, for, for exactly what it is. Like, it reads it reads like what it is. First of all, it was, it was originally apparently published as a series of short stories, but but even, even just on their own as the, the short stories themselves, um, it is... It's, it's like... Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go to a TV analogy or something. Like... <laughs> It sets up so much stuff. Like, so apparently, according to the Wikipedia page, it took him 12 years to finish this one book. It sets up so much stuff in a vague way, and you're like, come on. Like, there's, all, you know, there's a desert, and there's the gun guy, and there's some magic castle things, and there's an Amico station, and everybody's dead, but there are mutants, and, uh, like... You can, and and then the and then essentially the book ends like you know yeah, there's there's, right, a, there's right. a chase and a climax and some highfalutin mumbo jumbo sort of like the end of two thousand one essentially right <laughs> and then and then it ends in a dramatic kind of wah wah fashion right yeah. and that's the end of the book and you're like what in the hell was that right <laughs> you've said you cannot pay off this much crap and he's like just give me thirty five years 
I feel like I can I feel like I can tie it all together and it's like it is the biggest setup like the biggest mo- it's kind of like 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 everyone's you know uh like fantasy first novel where they set up this giant epic universe and plan a 20 book series and then never write another book right only yeah. only he wrote no. like a thousand books in between writing this stuff and so that, that there's another place that stands out to me is like it's like the biggest dare he, he gave himself can you can you make something out of this you know very slender because the gunslinger is not a long book compared yeah. to the other ones fairly slender tome all it is is just a bunch of promises you have to get pay off and you know we'll we'll see how well he did but that's that's how it reads to me like like a teaser like a giant teaser for like this world's got a lot of stuff in it and i don't have time to tell you now anyway book's over come back later <laughs> i i felt like you're yeah i would have said it was, it's it's almost like a, a prologue where he hadn't quite even fleshed out all of the stuff that was going to be totally. happening after the, the yep. prologue yep. but I, I do feel like the gunslinger while it's probably my least favorite of all of the books I is agree. the one that most feels like when i'm holding it in my hand like i'm i'm holding a piece of art because yep. like I, I think it echoes more than any of the rest of them the poem that it was based on it it very much to me reads like like it is it is more poetic it is spare it is crisp mm-hmm. and that's not particularly the kind, the kind of writing that appeals to me as a reader but when i look at it in concert with the rest of it and see how this is sort of like that that prologue or that you know very delicate foundation that everything else sort of grew out of then it becomes something that's much much more interesting so so you know you do hear people say yeah just get through the first book and then it changes well it does so I say, just get through the first book. And if you like it, that's great. You'll probably love everything else, too. If you don't like it, that's fine. But you need it because it really it really is important. And it's actually one of the most fun rereads to go back after you understand yeah. at least a little bit more. You don't have to go back as many times as I did, but <laughs> it helps. Or maybe helps. you do. <laughs> it helps because it, it, every time. You get a How many of you have read both, I mean, there's I've, two I've versions. Read I read yeah, both because he had. I was going to say Stephen King had to go back too. He had to go back. All right, right. I've, I've gotten far Stuff enough into the series that, that I mean, he's. You have to give him credit, like because you know he sure. didn't have the, this whole. But you couldn't have had this many stories in mind. He kind of know vaguely probably where it was going, right? But he set down all these things and he just kept writing in a forward direction. And I forget when he turned around and went back and said, "All right." I've stayed along the path, haha, pretty well, path of the beam pretty well here, but there are some discrepancies. Let me just loop back around and he cleaned them up. He also cleaned up the writing a little bit, and in some ways, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I kind of like the old, clumsy, like 20-year-old Stephen King writing for, for what it is, but uh, this is a case where the cleaned-up version, it just makes it more coherent. Going back and cleaning up fits with the theme of the book, as we will get to eventually, um, <laughs> and, and you know, the, making things match up, it's just... You know, it, it makes it makes the whole thing hang together. So this is a special edition that I heartily endorse. You don't have to read the original. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, by yeah. by according to Wikipedia, revised in two thousand three, which was just around the time book five was coming out. So after his, I believe it was after his accident. Yeah, and there's and a in the, in picked the, it all up. He, I think he actually talks a little. Oh bit yes, in, there's an intro right mm-hmm, where he talks about that yeah. and 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 the decisions that he made to do it. And um, it, it's funny because I have I still have my paperback of the Gunslinger, and I had to. 
um, get the ebook of it and read the new version because <laughs> the uh, I think I mentioned this to John at some point. He's like, "No, but there's a new version. Read the new version." I'm like, "All right," because I already had. It turns out I had the old book that I got in the '80s. I still had it in my bookshelf. Um, I think, yeah, Gunslinger. He doesn't really know where he's going, and it's the in the amended version. It, it, it more points in the right direction, but it is spare. It does feel like something that you would be assigned in an English class. I do, I do think it is a, mm-hmm. a he's trying to, for a particular style that is maybe not the style of a Stephen King novel. I think he I think he started writing it way before it got published too. So it it, it is oh, yeah. originally one of his earlier works and then it just sort of sat in the trunk for a while. He he started writing it when he was nineteen, yeah, right? Exactly. So that's the so it's, it's very ambitious, but also sort of like student-y, and then he tried to brush it up a little yeah. bit as a more advanced published novelist to get it to be a little bit better, but it's still an early example of his work. I think what's interesting is, it, you know, it is all there in the sense that you get the sense that from this world that the gunslinger is in, Roland is in, that it is a a world that is fan, sort of a... a degraded fantasy world you get you get that sense but you also get the sense that it's a degraded technological world and that's where i think his world building really works works is yeah it's a bunch of genres but if you had to boil it down it this is a fantasy story with some science fiction in it about a an advanced culture that like john said is sort of a slow apocalypse has happened and things have fallen apart and this world has gone on. It's just not what it used to be. Everything is falling apart, but there are multiple parallel dimensions, parallel universes. And this is a larger story about this pilgrim, basically from this one universe who is being sent on a quest to, um, to save all of the multiverse basically. And you can put it in very modern, understandable science fiction sounding stuff. What's funny is that in the 80s having Stephen King write this stuff it was much more remarkable I would say than maybe it would be today that he was thinking that big of like yeah I'm gonna you know in drawing of the three we are in the present day except it's not but like in the 80s and we've got modern references and they come into conflict with the gunslinger and we also have the 60s in there and it, and then because of the longevity of the series um, they add a third time frame later which is the 90s <laughs> Because right. time had gone on so long that the character who was from the present was now not from the present anymore. And so they could throw him into the future, which is our present, which was also a nice touch. Like, you, you wait around long enough and you can do that with your characters. So, you know, I, I think for somebody who hasn't... If you haven't read The Stand, I might argue that that's a good kind of fantasy with horror elements kind of interesting book that might be a... Uh, it's a huge book, but it's less to bite off than 4,000 pages of The Dark Tower. And if you like that, I think you'll like The Dark Tower because mm-hmm. it's in, you know, it's connected to it. But I feel like it also has some resonance with it. These, This is clearly the same writer who wrote The Stand who wrote these books, I think. So Erica was mentioning the uh, connections across the books. That's another... Mm-hmm. Another nice advantage I had of reading him, I had to get some advantages besides waiting six years between books and, <laughs> and almost seeing him die, um, that I read, uh, and so I, I got into Stephen King around the stand, around the stand uncut, not the 1980 version, but the, the, yeah, the, the revised one, and another book that he moved, moved forward in a decade, right? Mm-hmm. And then I went back catalog, and then I went forward, uh, and as I read the Dark Tower books, I more or less read all the intervening connecting books as they came out. So while I'm waiting around and he's writing book after book that is not a Dark, Dark Tower book, I'm reading them all, right? And so I got the the interleaved connected books 
as they were published, uh, I think a couple of them might have come out before their connections to the Dark Tower. Like the 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 book would come out, and you'd be reading this book that's not a Dark Tower book, mm-hmm. and you'd get to a part that connects to the Dark Tower, and be like, "Oh my god, I don't get a Dark Tower book, but this one, this one's kind of a Dark Tower book too." <laughs> Sometimes it would be annoying where I'd get to the end of the book, and anyone who's read it knows which one I'm talking about, and say, "You mean this entire book?" was essentially a minor plot point in the dark tower like <laughs> like here we're going to there's going to be a bunch of characters uh but it turns out the thing they're going to do is save a particular person who is not important to this book but will become really really important to a book that'll be written in 12 years in the dark tower series i'm like oh come on <laughs> uh so it was it was agony and ecstasy but uh there is there is i mean i know i'm always like oh read them all in order and blah 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 or go back in time and read them in real time but Truly, the, the Dark Tower and secondarily the Stand are the keystone to all of Stephen King. And as he advanced in age and as the Dark Tower series went on, he wove more and more of his books into and through the Dark Tower. And it is an amazing body of work. To, like, it's obviously not planned out. I have a master plan. All my books are going to be connected. It just kind of organically grew like like a spider web of tree roots. But I feel like the, the final edifice is so fantastic of this giant sprawling crazy cross genre series of books interconnected with tons of other books because he wrote a ton of books he's still writing books he can't he wrote so much stuff and to have the interconnecting thing be about multiple stories and interconnecting worlds like it is it is an amazing body of work for whatever you think of stephen king being a hack writer or whatever you couldn't plan something like that. Like, I think it just occurred to him as he was going, like, this is the inevitability of his life. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know how he goes on because it's like, I feel like he has capped off a, a nearly perfect life's work. And now he just continues to write new books that are just, you know, I mean, you can't, I guess he can loop back. He did the wind through the keel, loop back to the dark tower, but but what, what an idea. It's an amazing thing to me too, because as someone who, again, still hasn't read much in the way of other Stephen King books, I will, the occasional one I picked up, and then, you, like you said, John, turns out to have some minor linkages. Um, specifically, I'm thinking I read uh, 112263, and mm-hmm. that connects. Which I haven't in, read yet. <laughs> that connects in in some ways, too. I mean, it's it, not it, a direct connection, for, but it's, it's like a. It's hard for it, him to write them these days without there being a connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, because he tends to circle around the same things. But it is, it is cool. Like when I got to like a part in 112263 where I was like, oh, wait, if this exists in this universe, then that means it also exi- like it's connected to the Dark Tower. And I was mm-hmm. like, ooh. <laughs> That's right. There's all the, all the meta. Uh, and we haven't even talked about uh, what we will talk about, I think, after the spoiler horn, which is how Stephen King's own life figures into the story. But there is there is I, I too, as a fan of The Stand, and I've read The Stand three or four times um, since they came out with a revised and cut edition. That's the one that introduced me to it. I guess the power of marketing of books in, in 1990. <laughs> we all we yep. all got on board that train. And um, and so I find it delightful that the bad guy in the stand is essentially the bad guy sort of mm. in the Dark Tower and that we see him repeatedly. And there is that part of the one book where um, we enter that world for a little while and then come back out. And, uh, you know, that Stephen King having a lot of fun hopping around and stitching all of his books together. And then, you know, there is a major character from Salem's Lot that is in the Dark Tower books, too. And I haven't read Salem's Lot, but it's very clear because they talk about it a lot that that he's a character in Salem's Lot that comes up. 
uh, strangely. Yeah, I had I had read Salem's Lot so so long ago that I actually ended up having to go back and reread Salem's Lot. I think in the middle of one of the other books that I was like one of the other later Dark Tower books, I was like, I'm not remembering well enough. So I actually just stopped and I read that and I read Insomnia, like in the mm. middle of a different book <laughs> and then went back. Yeah, see, I, even, uh, not, even the taste of Salem's Lot from the Dark Tower was terrifying enough for me to not want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's, an, there's another connection for, by the, by the way, for the people. Most people don't know about this book. It's actually the first Stephen King book I got for my son to read because he just turned 13. And I don't think he's ready for like the real ones. Oh, I know, I know but, what you're going to say. But The Eyes of the Dragon. Dragon, which yeah. is a straight up fantasy book and guess what has connections to all of our favorite books. it does that all that book almost put me off of reading all of the rest of the connected ones because i really didn't like eyes of the dragon i felt like it was pretty um like yeah he is a hack wow uh but, but, but i didn't I, I let i let it uh uh, just fall by the wayside, but I do agree that that would be one to start with if you're um, if you're not into horror or if you're 13 years old. But don't let it put you off if you're a big fan of fantasy and you're like, this is his idea of a fantasy novel. Mm. Well, it's he wrote really it not. for his children or one of his children. Like he's trying to be gentle. Like he's trying to write a book without as much like terrible dismemberment and and, and horror and just which is fine. You don't need that kind of horror. It's just right. Yeah. So I feel like I don't know. I haven't read it in years. I read it. I I think I read it right after The Stand. I don't know if I caught wind of the fact that it had connections or what, but I read it right after The Stand in like 1991. And I remembered, you know, I'd read a lot of fantasy books by then, right? And it was not up there. Like, I, I think it helps that I went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be like a book he wrote for his kids. And I found mm. it pleasant. But I, I like the idea. Of, I think, And I think that's the first book I read with that particular connection to The Stand and then The Dark Tower. And then just eventually it's in every single one of the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the th- we won't go quite in- deeply into the the, the meta textuality of of this uh, this series, but that is another reason why I came out of this loving it as much as I did. Because any mm-hmm. any time a book or a TV show gets a little meta, that's just like that is right in my wheelhouse. Or a lot meta, yeah, yeah. very yeah. very yeah. very. Oh, well, I mean, meta. when it when it starts getting a little meta, that's right in my wheelhouse. When it's when it's getting a lot meta, that's like me on the train just going choo choo. <laughs> <laughs> The thing has there, is there any book series or any I mean I suppose there's probably movies and TV shows that go equally meta to this but I can't think of another book series that just goes goes where this thing goes like I remember reading it towards like the the last two books I'm like are they going to go all the way there it's like yep nope totally all the way there you got to be impressed that three thousand pages in this series can do things <laughs> that really surprise you. And that it works. That's the other thing, right? Like, I think there's a lot of places, if it were, you know, again, take whatever you want of Stephen King and whatever viewpoint you have of him. But, like, he's clearly, the man has written many, many books. He is clearly a professional, whether or not you like his books. Uh, There are many cases in which, you know, this would be purely self-indulgent. And, mm-hmm. and very pretentious, I think. And I don't feel that it comes across this way to me. And part of it, I think, is because of all the stuff that happened to him in his life at the point that he started doing that, right? Like, in, And part of it was that he had, to a degree, as John said, after 30 years or whatever, he kind of earned it, right? Like, it wasn't just like, if you started out trying to write out, like, write that level of metatextuality in it, I think people would laugh at you and kind of shake their heads and, and walk away from it unless you're doing it amazingly well. But... It kind of plays out for him because so much of the the experiences that he seemed to have in that intervening time 
were of that stranger than fiction quality to them uh and so there's it's it's a testament again i think to the fact that he is a skilled writer and a skilled teller of stories because he can make that work in a way that is at least to me and i think to most of us compelling rather than simply seeming like you know somebody you like like a like a mary sue if you will Mm -hmm. i could not agree more yeah so Before we blow off the spoiler horn, I wonder if there's anything more that we should say to people who are considering this, uh, taking this journey with Roland to the Dark Tower across these seven books. Uh, any advice? Any other other thoughts before we if, clear the deck? If you like, if you like the idea of like really like just like a an epic saga that is going to span worlds, like it's just ambitious as all hell. And I think if that appeals to you, this is a series that you will like. Mm -hmm. I wish there was like a reading order. There probably is somewhere for like how to interweave it with. I would probably disagree with the reading order anyway. If I saw, but (laughs) but what I would recommend disagree with the reading order you just created. Yeah, no, like just the the ones that other people have. You know, because I don't know how they would say to do it. But anyway, my recommendation is, um, to actually read some of the intervening books. Like maybe not do what Erica did and go back through the beginning seventeen times, but. Um, you know, just because, job. just 19. because it's, it's, yeah, it's like, exactly. Uh, just because like Netflix, they release all the, the shows at once. You don't have to sit and watch them all at the same time. You can read a book and then go off and read a connected book and maybe a tangentially connected book and then come back to the main series. Like that, I feel like is the way to get the most out of it. Now that's, I realize what I'm saying is, by the way, you should read 20 Stephen King novels. <laughs> that's, that's a tall order, but I feel like seven is a tall order too. And I think if you try to read all seven, I don't know if Jason may tell you, but I feel like you will you will start to get tired in the middle. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I just feel like the, the expanded universe, or however you want to do it, adds so much to it. Not so much like, oh, this is connected to that, haha, wink connection. Like, it makes the it makes it feel... It, the Dark Tower series, for all 4,000 pages of it, um, hints at a larger world, but it's not just hints. The larger world is there. There are other stories in the larger world, and he wrote them. And they're big books. They're big, multi-hundred-page books. So it's not just like we have suggestions of a larger world that we're never going to tell you about. No, he wrote those too. So mm-hmm. read them. It's it's like being able to enjoy uh, all of the backstory of all the interesting things and the expanded world at the same time as the real thing. So that's my suggestion. My, my suggestion, essentially, don't read 4,000 pages of Stephen King. Read 24,000. Mm. Okay. <laughs> You could do that. I, I, agree, I agree with that. Uh, I also just want to put in a recommendation. Sometimes people don't think that Stephen King is great at writing characters. And I honestly felt that by the end of the Dark Tower series that uh, that some of the characters, obviously the ones probably that sort of last the longer and are, are in more of the story, like I felt like I had been on the journey with them. Uh, we keep mentioning Roland, obviously him, but but some of the other characters as well. And he, it, Stephen King didn't always do the greatest job at uh, representation and, and that sort of thing. But I felt like he did a much better job of it than an awful lot of uh, writers that have done in the past. And I... I liked being on this journey with these particular characters. They are not people that I would want to hang out with in real life, but they are absolutely the kind of people that I want to hang out with while they are on an amazing epic quest that is intensely difficult and changes them based on the things that they have to suffer and the things that they have to do and the choices that they have to make. All right. Now I'm going to blow the spoiler horn and the world will shake to its foundations. 
wait, spoilers. Uh, spoilers. And I want to. I want to talk about all the books. But yeah, let's get let's get the metafiction out uh, now because I think it's worth. We've touched on it so much that we should just come out and say it. Like he Stephen King get, gets in that uh, is hit by a car, hit by a van, and almost dies. But he doesn't die, and he details his sort of rehab uh, experience in On Writing, which is an excellent book that people should read, especially yes, if you're a absolutely. writer. If you're a writer, you should absolutely read it. But you should probably read it anyway. It's a very very good book, and it is. Um, more than just a how to write books thing it is this I think that's like memoir. the only other Stephen King I've read between that and 112263 and the Dark Tower I think that's it <laughs> and you haven't read the stand I haven't read the stand oh, I'm the wrong one. with I'm you the, Dan I'm the holdout Dan. I, I you wow. know what it was it was a, so it was a like of an age I should have read it but I was still wary of anything with Stephen King on it yeah. so well, I'm I keep meaning to get still to it, available. But it's so daunting now You'll be okay just leave the light on yeah it's still it's, it's still <laughs> available um but uh anyway so that happens and he decides to uh, revisit the dark, dark tower and finish what he started he, he i think he is haunted by the idea that he would have put all this effort into the series and then died before he finished it and so I this was haunted is, by it too this is what drives him <laughs> to publish the last three books in the main line of the series it, over the course of a couple of years um and uh what's interesting is stephen king is a character in the books at this point they meet a young stephen king who is revealed to be basically writing the story not uh, uh, writing stories of the characters he's been touched by whatever is going on in this universe he he salem's lot one of the characters of salem's lot is not only father callahan is not only in these books they find the book salem's lot on a book <laughs> shelf and look at it yeah this this one just feel like so so on the nose of like the actual accident the actual guy his name stephen king he's, he's not a pseudonym and the events of his near death that caused him to rush through these books are in the books it's two of your main characters uh have to go to maine and save stephen mm-hmm. king from dying in that accident and that that's a you know yeah, I, I that was the thing where, like I said, 3,000 pages in, and it does something that surprises you. And it continued to surprise me. The more that Stephen King was involved, the fact that it wasn't just, oh, look, the Stephen King novel is here on this bookshelf, and it's about you, Father Callahan. Huh. They made it into a book. Um, <laughs> right. but, they could have just moved on from that. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that like the four-toed statue in Lost? Like, wow, that's weird. Right. Anyway, <laughs> let's keep going. Ha-ha, <laughs> see these how connections? Keep, but they, but nope. they just kept going. That And, and the fact, saving, saving Stephen King kills off uh, doesn't kill off jake yeah at that point like so this character i mean grant he died once before but you know whatever that was the first book it was so long it was like 30 years ago the first book yeah um the again if you're trying to plan out the series okay i've written this book jake dies uh, in the first one and then you know he's going to come back in to be important in the series later um also uh he's going to be in this thing for about six books and then how will he eventually die he'll die saving me the author uh-huh. from a real life accident <laughs> like you can't plan that he doesn't have that in his mind when he's writing the gunslinger this it's like not a minor character in the series and how the, how he, he saves the author what does it's mm-hmm. it's ri- again ridiculous if you write it down but somehow as you're reading it it's just you're just riveted and you're like is what's go is he gonna go there he's gonna go there. and then he kills jake it's like but I mean, you have to. He's got to write the story, so otherwise, that won't happen or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, when I got to that part, I was just gobsmacked. And yeah, as it got to be more and more Stephen King involved, I was I was more and more gobsmacked. And I I just kept thinking, I should be really annoyed by this. This is the kind of 
kind of it's not really self-aggrandizing because boy he does not paint himself um particularly nicely especially as a young man Mm -hmm. but uh but no i agree with everything you said early earlier before the spoiler horn dan this felt more earned i think than any kind of meta thing that i've ever seen before which is interesting because like we said almost all of the other meta textual stuff has been much more minor like there's been a lot of little things like that like there's a doctor who comic book where the doctor actually accidentally ends up in our world at a doctor who convention like you know that kind of stuff is fun but none of that ever felt as earned as this i mean you know if anybody has has earned the right to do it it's going to be somebody like stephen king who not only has written a whole bunch of these books in this towering pun intended series but many 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 other books and has written a book about writing books which has been you know very helpful for a lot of other writers it just it it felt incredibly fitting and i think part of my awe at this at this series was just my awe at the fact that i swallowed this hook line and sinker and had no problem with it at all yeah, a lot of people do have problems with it, but I, I feel like when it's working, it feels like uh, the never-ending story, which is a movie I realize that not. Uh, I always think everyone has seen it, and it's like this cornerstone of everyone's lives. But it's everyone not, should have seen it, John. Everyone <laughs> right. should have. But, but anyway, it, it never-ending story. Not to spoil that one, which I think doesn't hold up as much if you're not like six years old watching. Yes, it, it does, still, John. Still, <laughs> yes, it does. It's still a good movie. But anyway, it's a, in the in the movie. There's a boy reading a book, and he eventually realizes he's reading a book about himself, and the book like he doesn't understand if like he they keep cutting between him reading the book in, in a scary school attic and the world inside the book and eventually that you know realizes that he's supposed to do something out here reading the book that affects what's inside the book but when he's reading he's like but that's not how books work like mm-hmm. you know he keep he keeps looking at from the book and going they can't be asking me the person reading the book to do something because how would that affect what's in the book it's just a book right and reading this thing with stephen king appearing gives me that never-ending story vibe where suddenly you feel mm-hmm. like am i in the book is the book Totally. Is this, yeah. Is yeah, this a right. history book or is it a fiction book? And that's when it's working. The people who are annoyed by it, I think it's conceptually they're just like, oh, this is stupid. Oh, I waited seven books and they're going to do this stupid Malkovich thing at the end or something. You know, it doesn't make it right. But when it works, it feels like the never ending story. And I love that movie when I was a kid. And I love what happens in the book. It does work. Yeah, for me. I, I think you're totally right, John. Is like for me, definitely looking up at some point from, you know, when they introduce King and you start thinking about like, but what if he really is like the vessel through which the Dark Tower story is? Right? Yep. And you're like, oh, my God, like, hold on. Does that mean our world is part of this world? Or, uh, yeah, it yes, definitely it does, Dan. Yes, it does. <laughs> I mean, he so, is. I the, agree with he you. is the vessel in which it, this world. Right. Comes exactly. Right. Exactly. That's the thing where you get you just start going around in circles a little bit. And one time you have the horn and that. But like, you know, I think that is. It's true. What John said is exactly right. It's like it works because you start thinking about that. And again, like when I said, I like I, I could imagine you know doing a whole dissertation about this. Is just like it, there is something about the mechanism of the way that he tells this story and the way that it so closely links in that is utterly compelling to me. And I I do know people like like John said that that have problems with it or don't like it. But for me. I, I just, like Erica, I just swallow it. I just like this. I'm in. I am totally 100% in. Well, the last few books, too. I mean, I feel, I feel like you have to, I suppose you could read this book with no knowledge of the author at all. But so many people, he's such a famous writer. And I what I appreciated about this is he is completing his most important to him 
life's work, right? And he's doing it after a near-death experience. And, you know, the last couple of books managed to be part novel, part memoir, sort of, Mm -hmm. in the sense that he is talking about his own life. And we're all aware that this is a series that he struggled to finish. And then he had this near-death experience, and here he is finishing it. And I I think I, I found that kind of delightful, that... You know, he is speaking to us as the readers about his own personal experience wanting to get to the end of this story by putting himself in it and having his characters have to save him. And I think you can read into that the idea that in some ways that this story saved him and drove him to continue after he had that near-death experience. So I really like the fact that it's all piled up one on the other. I suppose if you have no idea who Stephen King is and you read this, you might find it strange. But I think if you know who he is, it's just one other credit in the favor of the book that it treats it this way. Terrico's point about him not like he's not viewing himself very well through the lens no, here. No, no. Um, and if you read, as you suggested, Jason, on writing, I think it meshes very well because that he also talks about his you know early days as a writer in that book and that that version of himself that he you know talks about in his sort of memoir slash writing book is very very close in many ways to this version of himself that we see through the lens of the dark tower Mm -hmm. as well so there is a ring of truth about it even though it is fictionalized right and like and that again makes it collide even more and and you know again you start finding is this fiction is this real life is this memoir he 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 literally writes dialogue and does a whole scene about the guy who hits him with the van and it's the guy who hit him with the van and almost killed him it's not i mean it's not vagued out it's not and then a van came and hit him it's like the guy with the animal like like with the dogs in the back of the van and he like he he is literally writing in those scenes the story of how he almost died in his novel it's uh, it's kind of amazing when you think about it in that in that uh, from that perspective from the outside perspective it's it's i just i couldn't i couldn't believe it as i'm reading all of that and again you come all this way and you're in page 3500 basically of this series to have that kind of a reaction that's that's pretty special because you know i kind of was expecting that it would all be trailing off at that point and that is not instead there's new weird unexpected (laughs) stuff that i haven't really seen before and i really appreciate it about it um Let's talk about I want to I want to really quickly run through the books because I think it would be interesting to hear what everybody's take is if you remember I suppose about the yeah, books Yeah there are a few that like the ones that I actually read in sequence that just run together in my head it's, but it, there are other other true. ones that are very separate So we talked about the gunslinger we should talk, so drawing of the three we meet Eddie and we meet uh Susanna who at this point isn't Susanna yet she's Mm-mm. a split personality of uh of Deda and Odetta and Odette mm-hmm. and uh she's in a wheelchair uh, because she was pushed in front of a subway train and Eddie is a heroin addict who is smuggling drugs into New York City in the 80s and meanwhile Roland is going from he's on a beach he's gotten like his his uh, fingers chopped off by off. by yeah, giant lobster total, monsters. Totally Empire Strikes Back moment there. Like he, the first book is about the gunslinger, how good he's with the guns. And like in the the first chapter, I think of the second he book, he gets his, his he gets his his trigger finger and the finger next to it on his right hand chopped, chopped off, off by a lobstrosity. It's like, 
Oh man. Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> Throw him in the deep end. And now. he and he's getting mm-hmm. he's uh getting an infection. He needs to go through these doors and here's with this fantasy element of we have doors that are portals to other realities, but not quite like you step through and you're there. You sort of step through and you're in the head of of a, another person and it's just mm-hmm. it's wild stuff. I have a friend who really dislikes that they're actual doors. That's the best part. I love that. I know. I'm yeah. totally on board with that. Like, how could you hate that? He's and like, they're, a they're on the nose. And you can only <laughs> see them. It makes no sense. And you can only see them from one side. From the other side, they're invisible, which is also a nice I love challenge. it. I love it. I'm 100% in. Yeah. I mean, what is more, what, what puts you more in sort of that weird, not quite reality um, mm-hmm. state of mind more than seeing this you know beach that just stretches on and on and suddenly something that does not belong there at all it is a wooden door to literally nowhere except that when you open it it's not and and yeah not being able to see it from the other side too but just to me the the idea of seeing a wooden door like maybe it's because i'm just a doctor who fan and i pictured like the tardis and all of these situations mm-hmm. that should not be in but that's th- that just immediately makes makes me feel disconnected from reality and that's exactly the feeling that you want for a book like this that's totally a stephen king move too like if you read his other books that's his style that's his taste mm-hmm. in terms of like it's not his style to do a giant super mechanized thing with blue glowing tubes circling around it and like a cyclotron of glowing light shooting out and nope mm-hmm. it's gonna be it's a, a door wooden door yeah and that's fine that it works it works mm-hmm. perfectly i really love this book i think it's the book that really hooked me because i you know we talked about the gunslinger a bit but th- there's something about this it's a, it's a building of a team book in many ways right mm-hmm. like he's assembling the band the together mm-hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> and to me that that is great that's a formula to a certain extent but he totally like twists it and all that right like because the whole thing where the last door is not actually who you think it's going to be he's getting three but not quite the way like you think his title's like he's going to get three companions well kind of but not the way you think like the third third guy being the pusher it's like he's not going to be a member of the team really no that's that's a nice um moment where he plays with time because these are uh uh, odetta uh and detta are from the 60s from the civil rights movement of course eddie is from the 80s um, the and, present day and the yes, the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the right. present day, and then um, they go to uh, the pusher, and it's back in time, and he's the guy who actually pushes Odetta uh, onto the subway tracks, and that's how she loses her legs. So he also dropped the brick on her head. Yep, and yep. and did the split personality. Yeah, he's going to kill Jake too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's there's we haven't even talked about Jake. So Jake is in the first book, and then he dies, and then he's in the second book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Late in the second, yeah, and, and that that uh, that plot mechanism, the, the the purpose Jake serves until he actually comes and sort of becomes a character of his own as um, destroying Roland's mind because he's both alive and dead. Yeah, and it's right. tearing his mind in half. That mostly happens in the wastelands, doesn't it? I forget when. Uh, Here we go. That, that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I believe you're right. Right, and that. I like that because, I mean, we just mentioned that the pusher is like, how is the same guy going to be like, he drops a brick on this woman and he pushes the same woman without even knowing it's her in front of her and he goes to push Jake? That's ridiculous. So first of all, that's only ridiculous if you haven't read the Dark Tower series where everything is connected. Mm-hmm. And right, like, right, right. like it all, like it, it actually, it's the type of thing that doesn't work unless the entire series is about how everything is woven together into this big tapestry. Uh, and second, the the idea that he's, the different realities, like the way it's handled in this book is no... Like, no one has a blackboard, like, in Back to the Future explaining how things work. Everybody is very confused about 
<laughs> where they are now, where they've been, what's going on. Who, like, it feels more like it would feel to be involved in a universe that is, like, thin and, and tearing at the seams and everything. And things aren't working quite the way they're supposed to. And it messes with people. It messes with everybody involved. Nobody is on is on sure footing, including the reader. Um, and I love, like, I don't know why I like this in Stephen King, but he does this a lot of times. But the the long, drawn-out agony of, like, in this book, Roland having an infection for a really long time. I mean, I know yeah, that right. bothers some people, but that kind of sustained tension. And also, Roland losing his mind over a really long time mm-hmm. for kind of explicable reasons. I love that. I love when when it feels like you think it would feel to be involved in anything. And instead of just like you're reading a book as an omniscient narrator and your characters are in just some sort of conventional battle, it seems just so much more fraught when when everything is uncertain and the consequences of that land on the characters. Yeah. And I, it, just going back to the idea that this is a book of, of getting the band together, except that it it so doesn't feel like that because, as you were just saying, John, like nobody quite understands what's going on. So it's not really collect, collecting people to, to get the band together because they're going to go off and play a bunch of shows. It's pulling together these people who at first really do not get along in any way yeah, they're, they're to trying do to something. Kill each other. Yeah. To do something that nobody completely understands. Mm-hmm. Even Including Roland, yeah. and and he'll he, and he won't even tell them the tiny bit that he thinks he understands at this point. It's mm-hmm. just everybody is kind of in their own little silo, at the, especially at this point, and for quite a while, continuing just uh, trying to figure things out from their own perspective. And you know, you as the reader are in another little silo, trying to figure it out along with everybody else. And I like She's that. trying to get off heroin. She's trying to deal with the, yeah, the split right. personalities. They're 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 at various points. Your quote unquote heroes in protest protagonists are laying in wait to kill the other protagonists <laughs> with whom they're going to join for the rest of these books everybody's a mess mm-hmm. some of the lobstrosities they know what's going mm. on and and oi oh oi <laughs> yes the billy bumbler who who is like a kind of a dog fox squirrel guy who talks he, yeah. he comes in the wastelands doesn't he Where he does come in the wastelands, wastelands jumping ahead yeah. a little. well that's good because let's jump there because we don't have all day and we have lots of books to get through the wastelands <laughs> um oh, what a the wastelands yeah. wins my award for the weirdest book in this series and definitely the <laughs> oh. one that was the hardest for me to get through but which i look back on very fondly oh. because it's so weird and out there in some parts because this is up until this point i think jason's assessment of like this is mainly a fantasy novel with western elements and maybe a little bit like you know it, it dives into our world yeah. a little bit obviously and some post-apocalyptic Greek. stuff because you see right, a lot of things that are stuff. decayed but now we get really into that post-apocalyptic yes. slash sci-fi the last, angle with the wastelands last half of the wastelands especially where they're in the city Blame of Blood. the mono <laughs> And, oh my god, uh, I will never ride a train the same way again. I love Blaine the Mono. Um, and that's like, uh, again, that's I, I've referenced this before. I Have No Mouth and I'm a Scream by Harlan Ellison. It's that mm-hmm. idea that there's a completely insane artificial intelligence and you're trapped inside it. And that's, hey, it's Blaine the Mono. Yeah, it's yeah, not good. Right. But um, the, all the stuff in the City of Lead, this actually, I didn't like that. That's that's some of my least favorite stuff in the in the whole series is that, mm-hmm. you know, this, yeah. this post- apocalyptic city that's got different uh, factions and there's awful people doing awful things and Jake gets kidnapped and they have to go after him. Roland uh, goes after him and, and uh, all of that. But before that, the, you know, the first part of this book, we do get like, mm-hmm. I think, I think some key 
of world building for the series where it's like first off Detta and Odetta have been unified more or less into Susanna and they are starting their adventure they 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 meet Shardik the bear which is a giant uh murderous cyborg bear who they with a satellite dish on his head that they knock off and that manages yep. to save the day but you get the sense like you get learn about the beams um so you right. know mm-hmm. like where their how their journey is going to go which is along the path of the beam you get a very clear sense about how advanced that this world was at one point because it's got artificial intelligent you know the, there's the the these are cybernetic creatures that have been created over time and we get a much better sense of like how the cotet is has come together and what they're trying to do but they do have to save jake who is both alive and dead and that happens in this book where they kind of like finally get him across at at what turns out to be a great cost that will have to be the price will have to be paid later on and they do meet oi the billy bumbler who is uh, kind of adorable <laughs> Kind of adorable. Okay, he's, he's adorable. Super all right, adorable. super adorable. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, even and through all of that stuff, like it, l- this is another book that is really interesting to to either reread or go back and think about after having read the entire series. Because I remember sort of just the mystery feeling of being like beams. Okay, so there's a turtle at one end, and there's like that. Just it, it seemed like this this interesting concept that I didn't quite understand. Okay, so like you know you can be on it, and the clouds look a little bit different, and Oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. But you don't really understand just how fundamental it is to the the importance of everything that's happening until much later. So there's a, there's a lot of things I feel like that, that pop up at the beginning of the Wastelands, um, including Jake and his ability to eventually travel between the worlds that that just it all means so much more than it seems like it means. And what it seems like it means at the time is still really cool. It just gets bigger the farther you go. Yeah, and they introduce a lot of, like, minor things here. I mean, they they don't become super important, but they tie in, like, North Central Positronics, the company that makes Shardik, like, the fact that he's got, like, a label (laughs) on it. Like, sort of, again, you would think, oh, just hints of a world that we're not going to know about. But no, the Sombra Corporation and North Central Positronics, like, you'll, they'll they'll actually be a factor later. Um, And the, this one, I remember, I think maybe this is the, the first one that I got in real time, because I think Gunslinger and Drawing a Three had been published by the time I started reading it. And then I think roundabout where I got done with Drawing the Three, it was a short wait and the Wastelands came out, or at least I knew it was coming. And it has that mine has a really cool cover of the the rose with little starlight things mm-hmm. on it and everything. Um, and I was so excited for this book because here I am. I'm like, I'm caught up on the series. I'm reading it in real time. Uh, and this one, everything you said, I remember that part of the book. But my overriding memory of this book is it ends on a cliffhanger. And then I waited six years. They're on that train for six years. Yeah. In my mind. They're, how are they going to get off the train? Six years I had to wait to find out. And I realized looking at the dates here that Wolves of the Cala had the same uh, similar gap between Wizard and Glass and that one. But like, but they're so self-contained. Like, Wizard and Glass and Wolves yeah, don't end was... on a cliffhanger with our heroes on a yeah. damn murderous train. Yep. And for, I had to wait for six years. That that was that just felt like the longest thing. Like. I think that is the worst part of reading it in real time because <laughs> the cliffhangers are fine, but that's too much, right? So if you read them now, when you get done with the wastelands, just go right to Wizard. Yeah, like because it resolves itself it fairly in a pretty quickly, pretty yeah. quickly, right? And but most it, of Wizarded yeah. Glass is its own thing, anyways. So right, yeah. right. They said it's like you could have just put that at the end of Wastelands and like resolved our hero's problem. But but anyway, the other, the other thing I remember that is the. Uh, Blame the Mono, obviously, the, the murderous AI, which is a trope that we've seen many times before. The, the thing I love about the high-tech world, this is, he has such a weird idea of what 
what high technology will look like. Again, Jason mentioned the the radar dish on the top of the bear's head, which is not. <laughs> that's like what so the sixties uh, cartoon sci fi. Yeah. Um, but the giant the the falls of the hounds or whatever, and the, like the train speeding across this weird landscape with these mutant creatures and giant waterfalls and strange ancient structures. I just I just love that. I love the world of the wastelands. Like one of my favorite post-apocalyptic things. A because you don't even know what the hell the apocalypse was. Yep. Although you know mm-hmm. it's like all apocalypses at once. It's you know I don't want to ruin too many things for Dan, but there there are uh, <laughs> many different apocalypses, both fast and slow, and many strange creatures and a, a geography that reminds you a little bit of the United States and but not quite. Uh, and then the beams overlaid over all on top of all of this. It was definitely a sort of like gunslingers, this weird poetry thing. Drawing the three is like a conventional Stephen King novel in a strange world, and the wastelands is like, get, buckle up because things yeah. are going <laughs> to get weird really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, Wizard and Glass. So six years later, we, that gets resolved, and this is that uh, for fans of the stand. This is that basically the Blaine the Mono pulls into the uh, Topeka railway station, and it is a Topeka, Kansas, in the 1980s. This is one of those weird moments of like, well, wait, they were in the they were in the weird world of of Lud, and now they're in kansas kansas it's and it, there, there is a we're not in kansas anymore kind of moment there but they're in the stand at this point they have arrived right. in the middle of the stand post the apocalypse in the stand that has killed almost everybody else and i had to look up so much stuff for they're these in books. an alternate stand or though, a stand they're right. in the right they're in the the pre uh the the pre-uncut version of the stand it's it's confusing, but but yeah, no, it's very like if you've read the stand, if you haven't, I wonder how that that part all reads. Like, did Dan, you want to know that you had? <laughs> yeah, did you have to go and? I definitely had to look stuff up. I'm trying to think if the in the era, at least when I was reading this, I'm pretty sure that was feasible via the internet to like look up stuff and be like, okay, what is this? Or at least maybe talk to someone who had read it, maybe my cousin, and be like, so there's stuff going on here, but I could kind of tell. And I was, I mean, I'm, I was familiar with the idea of the stand, though I had not read it. And so I started to get idea because especially they mentioned, don't they mention like the super flu Yeah, or they mentioned Captain Trips and the super mm-hmm. flu. Captain yeah. Trips. Yep. Yeah. And so it's like, I, but I knew enough of like, I, I, I knew some of the references. I didn't know the whole thing. And like, but I, it, that was the part certainly that got me the most interested in potentially reading the mm. stand at some point. It was like, oh, this is an interesting world that ties in here. I, I should check that out. But, but if there's... you, if you had not known that, that, that there was another book and that this could have been tied to it, it do you feel it like you would no have been sense. confused? No. I would have just been like, oh, it's another different it's world. Another apocalypse. Like, I mean, there's so many different worlds that we've seen at this point. And that one's like the stand apocalypse is very close to our world, right? Like mm-hmm. the the setting of it is more or less. There are distinct names off for by some a little stuff. bit. Like different people are president. Different yeah. cars. The, base, the baseball yeah. teams. The monarchs instead yeah. of the royals in Kansas City. Yeah, and, and, and we, get, would pick up on we get the Takuro Spirit, which is not a car that exists in our world. Car, and Nazala, yeah. there, of course, the popular soft drink. Right. Nazala, which is soft drink. Yep. Which, which I love because those keep coming back. And that, that's a signifier that this is not our world, which is the Keystone world. This, These are other worlds with that are just, just a little bit wrong. So close. Yeah. Right, right. And so I think that's what I would have assumed is like, oh, it's kind of a slightly fictionalized version of our world where something terrible has happened. But yes, having it link into the stand definitely adds more depth and dimension because, as John says, there's a whole other world that you can go out there and explore in another book. 
So the the book ends in the Emerald City, and there's a lot of uh, Wizard of Oz parallels, <laughs> and Randall Flag appears, and and there's all of that. But and there's there's the different uh, the different uh, uh, like wizard wizard glasses they've got the they get the pink one they got to watch out for the black oh, merlin's, one merlin's rainbow yeah the merlin's rainbow that's right it, which was an inconceivable question that i didn't know about and now i understand it so thanks dan uh it's too <laughs> late for me but um but in wedged in the middle of wizard and glass is a totally other book a western mm-hmm. a slightly magical western <laughs> which is my l- truly least favorite book in this series but since it's not its own book <laughs> well this is i kind of this I is my like least it. favorite this, book this... in the series period really? and that's one of the reasons why mm-hmm. yeah yep i'm with john this, i kind of like it this is my favorite book in the series oh, it's not my favorite not, but it's probably it's no contest good. wizard glass is my favorite wow. one. yes it is kind of weird that it's got mm-hmm. bookended by hey we got to wrap up the wastelands and then we're gonna go to the wizard of oz but in the middle it's like Let's gather around the fire. Let me tell you yeah. a story. I like and that story. The book. I like the story. It's fine. Oh, see, I don't. That's oh, okay. <laughs> that's what I, no, I, I, the framing sequence makes me roll my eyes. The, the the last part in the Emerald City, I just wanted it to be over. But um, <laughs> but I did. I, I you know it's so it's the Adventures of Young Roland. <laughs> it's for the Young Roland Chronicles that happens it, here. It's a prequel. It is. <laughs> It is, and he uh, he has he's set out on a mission, and there's bad guys in a town, and he meets a girl who's betrothed to another, but he's a bad guy, and they fall in love, and uh, he tries to save the day, and of course at the end uh, he does save the day, but his girlfriend is burned alive at the stakes. Yeah, bummer. And then he kills his mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I liked where they went back to it because in the gunslinger, remember, like the, I don't know how much of the gunslinger is this, but it seems like a large portion of this very slim book is about young Roland and Court and his hawk and right. the whole thing, or at least that's what sticks in my mind and seeing seeing the cook hanged and, you know. And I kind of felt like after reading the first one that it was like 50% this old Clint Eastwood guy in the post-apocalyptic world with weird magic stuff chasing the man, the man in black, mm-hmm. and 50% this old uh, medieval high fantasy kind of but with guns thing with castles and knights and stuff like that. And the rest of the series will kind of be like that. And it wasn't. Like, it was, It was. we're going to plow bravely forward and get super weird. I wanted to hear about young Roland. And Wizard and Glass was finally like, I almost just set aside. If, if we hadn't been going through this in chronological order, I couldn't have even told you what the bookend, beginning and end of Wizard and Glass was. To me, that entire book is the middle story. And it's a story that I wanted to hear for a real long time. Roland keeps talking about his younger days and his friends and here they are mm, yeah. fresh faced in this book and they screw it all up <laughs> and like the you know, same way i kind of love empire strikes back you know tales of you know that they, they mean well and they're young and they're skilled and they're energetic and terrible things happen and it's their fault uh i mean and you had like uh his uh what's it Su- susanna what the what was her name Susan Delgado. Susan, Susan Delgado. Yeah. Yeah. You had her in the in the gunslinger, like as a random vision, a vision throwaway vision of a girl with her head out the window or whatever. Like again, like a, a hint laid back, uh, you know, in decades earlier, culminating an entire book about that one vision. I I liked it. I like the. I like them with their like slingshots and and guns and yeah. In, in this I little, I do town. like the original content. I I enjoy those characters. And and the the they have an actual witch, and you have the 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 meet cute with the two of them, and the <laughs> being burned as part of the harvest sacrifice, and the thinny, and it's just it's you know mm-hmm. I, I I understand that the book probably isn't coherent, but. <laughs> 
it's one of my favorite like in terms of the framing things but it's one of my favorite sort of it, it was like i don't know it was like fan service it gave me what i wanted bring me back to them bring, show me them when they're younger show me all the things they keep hinting at and stay there don't just have like a flashback for three pages and then go back to the thing stay there through the whole story and see how it played out and it gave me a deeper understanding of roland and why he's so grumpy all the time because <laughs> he's, he's had some bad things happen and a lot of them are really his fault and so it kind of like it ripples backwards like oh i see yeah uh, all right i get it now okay erica why didn't you like it well i mean i i agree with the, the things that you said i feel like like that story was one i kind of needed to suffer through in order to un, like suffer through it with roland in order to understand how he got to where he was but i think i think earlier i had been kind of curious about what had happened to him and, and you know, that I think maybe I was a little more curious about why the world was falling apart in the first place. Um, so instead, I get this story that's specifically about Roland and these people he'd been hinting at. And 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 maybe I had been curious about that, but I think it might have been a case of like, you know, you might actually, you know, be careful, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And I, I, I was more interested in these characters that he had brought to get brought together in the quote unquote, you know, real time, which whatever real time was at that time. And it, it here is just thrown on the brakes and that story completely stops for most of a book. And we have to go back to something that is very much Western-y again, which is my least favorite genre. Oh. And and it, it is about a bunch of people trying really hard to do the right thing and screwing up. And I that is just depressing to me. I don't like those kinds of stories at all. So I... I I I did like Rhea, the the witch of the coups, um, mm. because she was probably one of the most well fleshed out characters in in that little part. I felt like Susan was really kind of a, a two dimensional character, and as there are so few women in this in this uh, in this world, that you know here we had Detta slash Odetto who became Susanna, which was you know this really interesting character, and then we get Susan who loves Roland. Yeah. And that's it. And I uh, that was really frustrating, but at least I had Rhea because she had she had an inner life and actually was was a little more interesting to read about. Um so so yeah, and then it ends really depressingly and yes, that is that is a, it makes sense. It made Roland what he became later, but I would have I think been happier to find out about that in a few paragraphs here and there of Roland just like telling his friends. I know I know that you're supposed to show don't tell, but in this case I would have been happier to just be told. See, I like the story, but I'm going to split the difference here. I like the story, but I got frustrated that we were in this epic story of Roland and his companions traveling. And then there's that moment where it's like, well, sit down by the fireside and I'm going to insert an entire other novel now that stops mm-hmm. the plot of what you're reading. And you have to read this backstory now. And that's what frustrated me about it. It was, it was like, nope, you're going to stop. You don't get more plot development now. I know you've waited. What was it, John? I know you've waited six years, but we're going to sit by the fireside and read about the past now. And that was frustrating to me, even though I actually like the story. It was just frustrating as it as uh, it puts it on hold, and the fact that he went back after he finished the series and he wrote another book, which is book four point five, basically the wind through the keyhole, where the same thing happens, where they they sit down by the fireside and Roland tells a story. And I got to the point where I was like, do I read wind through the keyhole next? And when I finished um, when I finished this book, Wizard and Glass, and I realized what the next one was going to be, I was like, no, I'm not I'm not waiting another <laughs> book worth of digressions. I need to move ahead with the story. Story here. I think what's interesting about it from the point of the original, like setting aside when went through the keyhole, 
you know, this particular point in the series, this is the midpoint of the series, yeah, it's, right? It's, it's, the, it's the fulcrum, right? Like, it's the point on which the whole series balances is this idea of, like, all right, we've been following this character for so long, and, like, what is his deal? And so we he would get always to this hint fulcrum. at it, and he would, he would never tell you. Like, you, right, you, know, and he had, right. you got omniscient narrator version of, like, uh, you know, his youth or whatever, but he would always, like, refer back to his childhood, and this person said that. It's like, why don't you just tell us? And he does for an entire book. And it is... It is a midpoint. It's like a, it's a way station. I see it as the tipping point too, right? Like as we have the fulcrum, and then you sort of like the whole balance of the series tips, and we're on the downhill mm-hmm. slope now. But like that's sort of a, a key keystone again, if to borrow that word, of the <laughs> whole thing and what holds it all together. So, I, but I understand that like it, from a structural point of view, like stepping back and like looking at it, it's very it's a, you know maybe more admirable than it is um, from like a form point of view than it is from a point where you're reading it and you're just like, oh, but I want to know what happens next. Right? Right? Not what happened then. Yep. So I can understand both elements of that. I think for me, another another reason that it left such a sour taste in my mouth is that I I was not left with the, the uh, um, with the cliffhanger at the end of the Wastelands. I was left with the cliffhanger, the real-time cliffhanger of Wizard and Glass. So yes, it's not actually a cliffhanger, but most of this book was this thing that had I had another book to jump into right away, I probably would not have had such a problem with with stopping the novel to to do this throwback to to the past i got a whole new dark tower novel and most of it is a flashback what yeah and then and then i didn't actually go back to reading the books again until 2014 so like that's what was sort of left in my head for many many years so i think i may be a little extra bitter about it Mm. simply because that was that was the uh the the film that was left in my mind here's a Here's a question for someone who maybe knows more about the background of this. Was it still at this point intended to be seven books? I think or was it I don't know. I, I think so. I don't really I don't, know what I don't, you I don't think, think so. Is, I don't think he's ever wavered from, from like I don't I don't think there was any point where what do you think it was gonna end sooner? Or no, no, I, I thought it was more like it seemed like, okay, I can afford to do this digression, whereas like, you know, and we'll get to talking about the next three in a moment, but it, the next three are like Bam, 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 right, like everything well, is kind of on the downhill. Hurry. He's got to hurry up before he dies. Yeah, it's exactly. Like the force it's the down- of million fans <laughs> making him write these books. But it, that, that's exactly it. It's like some of it feels like at this point he felt like I can afford to take this digression and spend this time writing this whole backstory and really just like getting in, down into the weeds of this thing that maybe people care about, maybe they don't. But like I really want to indulge I, this. I, whereas I can't, I, I can't believe that you think it's like the weeds. Like it never occurred to me that this would. That I don't mean that. Con- I don't mean that badly. I mean like I mean like getting down into the details of. Roland's backstory. Yeah, like, yeah, it, is yeah, a, right. it is a digression, right? Like it is certainly off the main plot. And so part of me wonder if he felt like he had the luxury of, of time at this point, like, oh, I'll do another book every few years and maybe I'll just write about I this think, now. Maybe I'll I think write he this. felt he had, he had promised essentially the backstory of Roland and how exactly. he got the way like, he was. And he, he had to he deliver. Had, he had to pay it. He had to pay it yeah. off. Right. And, and like, this is the first time it even occurred to me that people would be frustrated by this book because it is a pause in the story because to me it's the story i that i has been withheld for such a long time and that i need to know this to go on and it just also happens to be one of my favorite stories like it just it just all kind of came together uh yeah see i, I just didn't feel like i needed to know it oh i needed it and and in the next book which we'll get to in a second that's the one to me that felt like a pause because after Wizard and Glass, I feel like that was like it's the is the way station, and it's like finally I get the thing that I was promised, uh, bookended by some weirdness, and the next book will be back on track, and we will be heading towards the tower again, and then we took a break uh, to go someplace else. So Wolves of the Kala, the uh, the fifth book, um, is my favorite. <laughs> 
of the entire series. Also, also known <laughs> as far. the Mag- the Magnificent Seven slash yeah. Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's probably my second or third favorite because I really, really like the Gunslinger. Uh, it's up there but, for me. But Wolves, Wolves, I feel like is the most the most Stephen Kingy self contained. This is a story with characters that you already know type of thing, and that's why it feels like a slight digression because they don't go right back to going for the tower. They take a break to save a town, which is a, a really good story. But for me, I was like, I really like that book, but mm, Tower is out there and you should really get moving. <laughs> What's interesting for me about Wolves of the Kala is, especially because he wrote this so closely to Song of Susanna and Dark Tower, is that these last three books really feel of a piece to me yeah, in a way yeah. that the other well, four the do last, not. The last two for sure. I, I don't know what the last two... They, last but two I think even Wolves book. of the Kala to me feels like there's a coher- much more coherent style because sure. he's writing these all in very close mm-hmm. order and as opposed to all these, you know, the doling out the first four over the period of two decades or whatever. Like, it, it seems to me it's much more condensed. It's much more economical and it is also king at his like you know master level right he has spent all this time he has now got this down to a sort of a science a finely oiled machine and he really does the the kala i think the reason it works very well is because the plot of that story is a time you know time honored sort of Mm -hmm. i don't want to say trope because it's very dismissive but it's got a formula to it and it's very easily recognizable and even though we have like our characters and stuff that carry over from the earlier books it does feel self-contained and it feels very it's a very well-crafted story in and of itself that you could read mostly without having any idea what's going on anywhere else right. and, and he's riff he's riffing on the the, the formula yeah i mean like in, 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 yes, the, in, in the stephen king's way you got robot cowboy coming through like everything <laughs> everything you want you got actual lightsabers it's a right? doctor dr doom dr doom robots riding uh riding robot horses throwing with harry potter ha- snitches, snitches yep and yep. they have lightsabers yeah Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, also, what, what I like about this is that that's not the only story that's going on. Unlike the the flashback in the previous book, which is is you know a very contained story, what we get here is we get Father Callahan from from Salem's Lot. We get the the uh, w- there are travels to other worlds. There's a lot more information mm-hmm. that we get. So even though they're yeah. in this town, the plot really does advance our understanding of what's going on in these other worlds. Um, going to uh, going to uh, alternate Earths and seeing what's going on they, because and there's the doorway cave, there's the Black 13. Um, all of that is happening here too, uh, plus the escalating tension of when the wolves are going to come to this town mm-hmm. and how they're going to defeat them, uh, along with him having fun. I didn't even mention the women who threw plates that kill people, which oh, is great. the plates, yeah. Right? <laughs> the best. And, oh, and, and uh, don't forget, Andy, the robot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, many other functions, right? Many other functions. Don't, don't, Is that it? Don't trust him. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. No, but that's great. He's very helpful, John. Why would I not trust Andy the robot? <laughs> many other functions. Um, and so that's that's why I love this. Is that it's a western plus there's a robot and then there's the 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 weird villains who end up showing up and then you've got this the oh you've got the the kind of tribe who lives on the outside of town who has a totally different religion than the people who live in the town the Manny and so yeah. they're like at a remove from them and but they need 
to get them involved too and so like i like i like the whole thing because i feel like this is for me this is like what the dark tower is which is this big stew containing all of this stuff that that is good and that i like and then he and then the the as dan said the kind of master storyteller is he's stirring it all around and he's he's advancing his plot while also telling this kind of classic story that we that's familiar in a different way and i i it's great yeah loved it Mm -hmm. yeah the thing that i loved was was bringing in father callahan from salem's lot and it just like i am always a sucker for for crossovers like that that well ones that work and i feel like this one did and getting to find out a little bit of you know what happened to him after salem's lot and and having another person from like our world basically from earth in this weird world so that they have somebody to talk to who's like oh you're from you know you're from massachusetts that's great like let's talk. i know where that is yeah yep and and it's also like the first i think obvious uh, hearts in atlantis crossover to mm-hmm. talking about the low men and how father callahan yep. has to has to get away from them and yeah that that all that kind of stuff just really uh, i i sh- probably shouldn't like this book all that much because it does feel kind of westerny you know got that magnificent seven feel which is so not my thing and yet i really really like this one it just it i think because like you said jason that it it is a story that's a little bit of a break but our understanding of what is going on in the larger picture is moving forward at the same time as we're getting a complete story um, that has its own side side dish of tension. I think that really worked well for me. I, I really like Black 13. That's one of my favorite elements of the series that comes in here and figures very prominently in the next book, too. But yeah, I enjoy that whole like sort of aspect of it with the doorways and the travels earth and stuff. I, I dig this one. It's a good one. They, they drop that at the end, don't they? Like it's kind of like you have this western story, you go through the whole thing, Benny blows up, uh, and then they have a doorway cave, and here's a book. Hey, this is called Salem's Lot, and you're in this one, and the, uh, like that. It wasn't a cliffhanger because they had wrapped up the story, uh, the wolf story, right, more or less. But then you end up like, anyway, uh, where were we? Oh yeah, doorways, caves, and by the way, some uh, the meta narrative is picking up. Uh, this one I, I remember the bookends too, um, because it just feel it felt mm-hmm. so kind of self contained that the, the bookend stood out to me. But I didn't have to wait long for the next one, so it's not as if I was sitting there going, you know, is, is this the one where Susanna gets pregnant from the Oracle, or does that happen in the next one? Uh, she gets pregnant in the previous one. Mm-hmm. But we find out about it. I in think this we one. find out about it in this but one. But we find out about it in this one. Yeah, and then chap. and then yeah. and, and then that is dealt with in the next one. Before we move on to the yeah. next one, I'll mention one other thing, which is one of my favorite scenes in Wolves of the Kala is they um, where they go out into the desert and find the like observation station that is mm. that is uh, yes. that is yes, watching yes. them, and uh, that is a uh, really creepy because there's like cameras that are and it's like now we know who has been you know who's behind all this and that there's obviously a traitor in their midst and and this is how they're being watched when they're sent to steal the children away um and all of that and that's pretty good and also as somebody who really enjoyed the tv series lost which they always said had lots of influences (laughs) from stephen king that is totally an influence on the dharma initiative and all of that kind of stuff in lost Mm. it's absolutely um and i didn't know it at the time but then i read the book and i was like oh yeah this this predates lost doesn't it yep that's by a couple of years so yeah totally totally part of it 
I also really like. I was just looking at the uh, really quick at the cover art, uh, or because I was thinking about how how much I don't know which version of this you read, but like I have the version that has this like crazy almost like pulpy text on it, where it's like wolves of the color like coming mm-hmm. from 1940. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. I really I love that art. I just really something about that. And, and I felt like I read all different versions and editions of all these books because I got a bunch of them out of the library. I really only own one or two of them. Uh, and and so it was the, the, this one is stuck in my head. I just remember the cover so vividly. Yeah, and the, the other twist they added, by the way, which I think Stephen King maybe doesn't get enough credit for his, his original ideas. So you got, you got the Magnificent Seven thing, you got the sci-fi thing, you got the mix, you got the, the spying, you got the robots, and you've got the fact that the town's full of twins and they take one of them oh, yeah. and then they bring them back and they're all messed up and they grow to be giant sized and die like that is such a Stephen King yeah. thing to do and like you, <laughs> and you could do an entire middle of the road uh, sci-fi novel about a society with twins and one of which is removed well, it's, such a, it's such a fairy tale story too it's like mm-hmm. a very much a fairy tale feel to me that, that, that they do yeah, that. And, and that's like one minor point of of this this oh, yeah. uh the premise the premise of this novel that we just tried to describe that involves so many things and by the way it's happening in the midst of another larger story yeah uh so song of Susanna, uh everything ratchets up and this and the and the dark tower it's basically a thousand pages drive to the end this is Susanna has been impregnated by a demon basically and she's gonna have this baby and she's got a uh basically another personality that it takes control of her who's named mia who is a former demon um and they're kind of like living in parallel it's a weird kind of thing and so we get more crossover they followed new york city to try and save her we see it's 1999 now there is a black skyscraper in the vacant lot where the rose from the previous book in the 80s was found and it is it turns out built you know by characters who were sent by other characters and all of that and it's just it's it's a a fun update um that now they've got this new time frame so all of that's going on and meanwhile roland and eddie are in the 70s and uh talking in the late 70s and they end up they're in maine which is like oh stephen king likes to write things about where he lives but no they meet stephen king and uh, <laughs> there's a there's a shootout at a gas station that's actually a pretty fun scene and then they go across the the a lake and and they're hiding out and people are trying to kill them but they do uh reach stephen king and then they also send somebody in the 70s to form the tet corporation to to, to basically fight the Sombra Corporation and to give them information that allows them to build that tower in the uh, in 1999. I, I like the fact that, that corporate governance factors into the climax of this giant series of books, like that they have to form a corporation and they worry about, like, they're trying to convince someone to sell land to them. And it's like, just that... You know, you you had enough gunfights. Now it's time for the lawyers to get involved. This is talking about business business <laughs> it's law. trade negotiations. It's my favorite. The part. author's a lot yeah, older now, <laughs> but they make it like it's kind of like a, a it's kind of like a whatever date that I can't remember. Eleven twenty. 2263 yeah. yeah like like in that book a lot of the time travel stuff is kind of like the prosaic stuff of like or you can go back in I, time but like the I logistics of finding that. people and doing and like and so this is the same thing yeah you, you're really in a different that. time but logistically speaking if you want to get this done it's not like you can't just go in guns blazing everywhere sometimes you got to sign some papers and convince someone to sell a thing to you and like talk to them like you can't just shoot everybody and like it's the frustration of time travel of having to do things i mean you have that I think at various times when when people who spent too long in midworlds come into like 
you know our world or something close to the keystone world and i want to just shoot people which is not a thing that you can do all the time and in our world and they they are faced with you know dealing with drug dealers and other things on on the terms of the world that they're in which is really frustrating when you're a time travel yeah and there's some time travel mechanics here too where they set a couple of guys on the path to save them which happened earlier um Mm -hmm. which is a nice Mm -hmm. a nice little little bit bill Bill and ted's excellent adventure and also i should say this is not set uh, the book was published in 2004 it this because of the 19s and the 99s which are the recurring element that it's set in 1999 but written a little bit later which allows stephen king to do another interesting and clever Mm -hmm. thing which is they hide black 13 in a locker in the world trade center so the implication there and it's never addressed later in the series is they put it there not really understanding that what's going to happen is nobody's ever going to get back to it it is going to be buried or destroyed or whatever but but it's still there or or, well that's the thing is i didn't i at the time i was like well this will be interesting we'll see where this goes and it's never addressed and i thought well that means that black 13 is still like buried under the world trade center like even now it could be just waiting for someone to find it that's and and i drew and part of that as a inference i drew which was not really i think spelled out either in there is that in some ways it's like it is a it is evil right so there's a magnet of evil drawn exactly towards right. it. Yeah, and this, exactly it somehow it not exactly causes it but somehow it, there is like a gravitational yeah, a terrible thing would happen on it. that spot yeah exactly yeah. right that, that that and and also the the i think i forget which book it's in because these last two totally blend together for me um the uh the calamity tourism through the doors. Oh, yeah, that's in both of those books. There's the, you know, please see September 11th, 2001. You can go through this door and see it. And exactly. the characters, mm-hmm. because, and, and the, the rule here is that in the key, in the Keystone world, you can't go ahead. Once the time advances, you can't yep. go back. The characters don't know what's so special about that date, but we all know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the, there's some harrowing stuff where they're going down. They're being chased, uh, uh, with Oi, and Oi has to save the day at a couple of points as they're being chased in underground um, in in this part. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's. I I feel I my two uh, my memories of this book and Dark Tower are all run together because they are basically mm-hmm. one giant whatever fourteen hundred page book yeah. that caps the whole yeah. series off. So this has this has Charlie the Choo Choo in it, which yeah. was super creepy because of the illustrations. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and the the copy that I had, and does this one have the Dixie Pig as well, or is that the next one? Yes, this one has the, the Dixie, Dixie Pig. Showdown at the Dixie Pig, very very mm-hmm. creepy, and that's where uh, Father Callahan gets it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is name. my. I think this one's probably my favorite oh. of all of them because 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 it's the one with the trade negotiations. Damn it, I like it <laughs> when things slow down a little bit and you actually you have to deal with things not using lasers and, and and guns and spaceships and stuff. So I, but at the same time, we're getting weird time travel and somebody's mind has been taken over and is is running around and people are trying to chase her and you got the the turtle motif, which I always just kind of enjoy the turtle motif and and yeah all of that kind of stuff and and yeah as you just said jason oi saving the day just i mm-hmm. by this point i was i was so on board for oi as like just a a really really important character for me when i was talking before the uh before the spoiler horn like yeah oi is 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 somebody who i feel every bit as emotionally connected to as i do any of the other characters and a lot of that happens um because of just because of this book 
And then the last book is very long because I feel like Stephen King said to himself, nope, it's going to be one book. We're going to finish it with this <laughs> book. And then it's like, all right, but then it's going to be a zillion pages long, or at least according to Wikipedia, 845 pages. I read this on the Kindle and I was like, really? oh man, oh, this is a long book. Oh, this is a really long book. It is a very long book. I would not have been, if you had asked me how long was the last book in the series, I would have been like, it's, it was one of the thinner ones. Because I think oh I raced God, really? through this. I no. think I raced through this so fast. I remember like, carrying the hardcover around with me, and it was a beast. It's huge. It's huge. It's a huge book. I just read it on my Kindle, so. Yeah, I read I read it on Electron. Even though I have, I have like, first editions of a lot of these books, I think by this point I was reading all of them as e-books. I read all these on paper, and Song of Susanna and Gunslinger, I believe the shortest, and then... This one oh, is definitely Callahan longer. actually doesn't get it until the very beginning of book seven. Beginning, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Dixie Pig like um, bridges yeah. the two of them. It's you sort of left off there, and then the real action happens here. This ha- I have a comment about uh, a funny thing. So the Crimson King, mm-hmm. uh, who mm-hmm. we really get to see in in this book, um, I was driving up to the uh, my uncle's place in the lake several years ago, right after I had just read this, and I definitely drove past a Crimson King road, and I remember that being <laughs> the freakiest thing that I had seen. I was like, oh, this is super weird. Keep so driving. Yeah. Maybe he's, uh, <laughs> just, Stephen King's just a fan of uh, the band King Crimson. King Crimson, yeah. That's it, Robert believe, Fripp, big Fripp I, I, fan. Yeah. Um, so this book is really long. And it has an ending, which we should talk about. I would say uh, it felt like a slog at several points to me. There are some very exciting mm-hmm. things in here. The Stephen King stuff really ramps up. Stephen King uh, being a character in here. We lose. Uh, this is the book where they're, where he feels free to start killing off all the characters. And so all the characters pretty much get killed off along the way here. And they all have their moment. And I thought that was pretty good. Um my complaint about this book is that at long last the chap is born and it's Mordred who is the son of both Roland and the and the Crimson King and can be like a person or a spider and he sort mm-hmm. of follows them around and I just got to say it Mordred's really dumb and I I, I feel like Steve he's not like spiders I feel like Mordred is just there to keep their a threat pushing them along their storyline and his he he's not interesting and the the most interesting thing he does is he kills um yeah, the walking that, dude right he he kills uh, the man in that's black. my my cousin's biggest complaint about the series is that <laughs> flag the, goes the Boba out Fett ending, flag right? yes exactly he compares those two actually exactly yeah. which is randall flag goes out like a chump i will never remember i'll never forget him saying <laughs> that he's so upset because it's been built up i think it's fitting because because flag is flag's big thing and, and as you see him in more and more books is he he's seems big and intimidating but at the same time he's also small and in all instances it's always he's not the boss he's got yeah. a boss right he's he's sure, he's middle management sure. and he he seems really scary but i like the idea of like mordred calls his bluff essentially and says i'm a giant spider and you're just a dude and i'm gonna eat you flag will be back though so it doesn't matter but yeah <laughs> like that's that's my my headcanon is you can kill and eat him, but, you know, come on, he's he's everywhere. Yeah, I didn't like Mordred either, um, but I was kind of okay with Flag getting it that sure, way yeah. because, because I enjoyed it, it seemed to fit. Finally. My, my bigger complaint is the fact that Susanna gets to go through yet another magic door to alternate 1980s where she meets up with, like, another version of Eddie and another version of Jake, and, it, it you know, and then they're going to get another version of Oi, and her memories are fading, and it's just... 
It was a cop-out. I either want my characters to have their actual happy ending, or I want them to die and for it to be, you know, tragic. And and I feel like anything in between is nerfing it, and it just it feels like a cheat, and I, I didn't particularly like that. Yeah. I don't know why Susanna survived, because she's the only one who lived, right? Like, everyone else, yep. a, as foretold, and as mm-hmm. constantly in your face this entire series, you hang out with Roland, you're, you're probably going to get killed. And, and they do... But not her. Yeah, and so and she's not allowed to be there at the end and sacrifice herself for him at the tower. Instead, he's got the uh, the kid who draws things yeah. with him, which is an interesting. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting little thing that they turn out that the way to defeat the enemy is that he he very carefully draws the enemy so that the enemy is is uh, completely perfectly matched in his drawing, and then they erase him. It's great. Yeah. So that Except so that eyes. is that, that Pat, Patrick Danville is the guy who comes from an entire book. It's just all about uh, saving him because he's going to be super important. And it turns which, out he is. Which is what? Hearts in Atlantis? No, that's. You should read that. That's a good one. That's a it short a story one. collection. Uh, it's what? Where does he come from? It's uh, Insomnia. Insomnia? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, so. Oh, right. Yeah, yep. but I, I'm, I was okay with Susanna's thing because while it was kind of wish fulfillment, it was also sort of like Susanna's part in the story is done and she's really sad that Eddie is dead. But there are other worlds than these and so she gets her reward is to be sent to a little parallel world where jake and eddie are there and yeah somehow gary hart is the president and it's 1984 (laughs) and it's super weird yeah you can't you can't get everything but like in the grand scheme of things she at various points i felt like she was stephen king's punching bag in some ways Mm -hmm. because she saw, so many she, bad things happened to her. Was, yeah, she was, a lot of bad things happened to her from the beginning all the way through to the end. She never gets to. She gets to come out of it as Susanna for a while, but then Susanna Mia pulls her back down into. You thought you were done with, like, mm-hmm. you know. And so it, maybe I accepted it, like the fact that she doesn't get killed. You know, so she's the one who gets to live, and she gets to go off into one of those like off-brand worlds. And yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's entirely like. I don't remember thinking, oh, she gets a happy ending. I remember thinking, well, she lived and, you know, life is what you make it. And in, and in, in the Stephen King universe, very, very often after the traumatic events that the author has put his characters through, they are allowed to have a, a continuing life in which the events of the book fade from their memory to the mm-hmm. point where, where it seems like a dream or a thing that happened to someone else. And that's probably that the is, best way I can think mm-hmm. of. Her. And that is the saving grace for me. Like if, if, if it was Susanna who had to live with these, you know, carbon copies of the people that she loved, a la Doctor Who, um, then, <laughs> then that probably would have really bothered me. But the fact that her memories of Midworld are also fading and that they're sort of going to eventually end up on the same wavelength, those, those three characters, like that, that, yeah. that kind of makes it okay it's it's it still felt at, at first especially a little bit like a an uncomfortable scratchy like feeling at the back of my neck yeah. um but but i've you know at, as the memories as her memories faded i think the scratchy feeling faded so i'm all right with it all right so what about the end i i i i, I gotta stay around this one which is i have watched and read a lot of long series I think it's really hard to make something land well when you've invested this much time in it. It's it's just difficult. I've watched a lot of shows that have ended disappointingly after long runs or just ended kind of meh. I've read a lot of series that feel like, especially like epic series where you set up this big thing from the beginning that fall kind of flat at the ending. And that is a big challenge with this particular series because it's as metafictional and as huge in scope as it is. And I... 
love the ending of this. <laughs> I really do. To me, it is perfect. I have not thought... There are very few other things I point to that I think, like, have this kind of good ending. I really like the TV show The Shield, and I think that has one of the best endings of a TV show I've ever seen. Uh, and to me, this just really... It fits, and it, it made me utterly satisfied. I was surprised at how satisfied with it I was, given the nature of the ending, which is that there is no ending, really. But yet, <laughs> it works. It works in the story. But that's so perfect. It's just like that that nails it. There is no other ending that could possibly work for this story the way that it has been laid out for, for yes. everything that has happened and the nature of everything that has happened. Like the, the thing that is at the core of this story is the, the disintegration and then, you know, trying to, to fix it. And, and you can't just fix it because then, you know, what happens then? No, 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 no. It just it just starts over. You get a, you get a little bit each time. Each time you get a little mm-hmm. bit better. It's like playing a video game almost. Like each time you get a little bit better. And the failure is planted early on because we know that they, that he doesn't have the horn, right? We know that he didn't mm-hmm. yeah. pick it up when his friend dropped it when he was killed. And so we, we, we know that he's missing a piece of the puzzle. And that turns out is like the last thing that he cannot he cannot solve it. But, you know, just because we learn that this is a cycle and he's going to re- relive his life as he walks through the tower and then he's going to be returned to where we first met him, the... It ends in the best possible way, which is he may have all the pieces now. He may be entering the last iteration here where he can finally save everything and be done. But that's not the iteration we're watching or or that we watched. And Mm -hmm. now it's over. And how I mean, it it takes a lot of work to navigate to the point, I think, where you can artfully land your Mm 4000 page series by going back to literally the first line of the first book and having that be a satisfying end. And I agree. I think he kind of nailed it. It just it strikes me as it's one of the things where if I walked away from this and there had been some disappointing ending to it, it would have been so hard for me. I mean, we've talked a little bit in the past about things that have unsatisfying endings and how it sometimes colors your perceptions of the rest of the series and makes it hard to recommend, right? Like, oh, this is great, but Mm -hmm. the ending kind of sucks. And there are any number of books and shows that I've watched where this has been the case. And so I think that's what makes it stand out so much in my memory was not only that we went through this huge, long journey, this epic experience, but that I can, I feel confident in my ability to say to someone who's going to read this, like, I love the ending. And I think, it, and it makes sense. It works. The fall of the companions, like that is, that is part of the payoff of the ending. The fact that those people all do die, which is kind of why it feels like a pull punch with Susanna not dying. Um, it Having played a lot of video games, one of the things that I enjoy a lot in video games is having finished the game and getting to see a really good credit sequence and the kind of credit sequences that I like are the ones that take you back through the game that you've played, sometimes alternate views of places you've been in the game, sometimes updating kind of like a, you know, a Studio Ghibli movie credits showing you the continuing story of the characters in locations that you've been through. And this one, you know, you got the tower and you got the doors marking the different phases of things that he's done in the past is kind of like i mean if this was a video game you would definitely go up the tower and see doors leading to the the past events that led you to the tower uh and if it was a video game it would end the same way with it cycling back around and i, I think erica said the best the best thing that 
labels this ending as as working is how inevitable it feels like i not i didn't you know i i didn't predict that this would how it end i i kind of wondered if you would get to the tower at all um but once you've read through it you come to that inevitability like oh well i couldn't it couldn't have ended any other way like this is the only the only sensible ending now that's what it seems like i feel like there is another sensible the more traditional end would be he gets to the tower and there is some kind of climax at the top that trails off into an unresolved uh you know future like hinting of things that could come from this that you're not going to be told but it doesn't matter because he's achieved his goal and the next step could be a or could be b but it doesn't matter that much because here he is that is the traditional end of this type of book where it just kind of trails off and you're like you're satisfied that you've achieved your goal but there is more yet to do or an interesting decision but both of them seem good and everybody is satisfied the sort of horror kind of from roland's perspective a little bit of like oh no (laughs) here we go again is so perfect because this story and this universe is not particularly kind to its characters and it's difficult and it's always been acknowledged to be a story about struggle and difficulty and heroes who are very often barely heroes or reluctant heroes or anti-heroes and having to try again uh, you know and we, we get the progression you know now you got the horn is that the only thing you're missing mm-hmm. like there may yeah, be other collectibles right. there may right. be other collectibles that you miss for a true 100 <laughs> run right uh <laughs> is so so perfect so and it is better than the other ending the traditional ending because it doesn't attempt to say and everything worked out and the good guys won it doesn't say that at all it also doesn't say that they lost it merely says these are things that happened, and then we, we go back around again. I mean, one of my favorite video games, Journey, has essentially the same ending, where it wraps back around, yep. and it just, yeah, it, it just feels inevitable, and I, you know, it's, it is it is dissatisfying in the horror aspect, because you feel for your characters, because when in the point of reading it, I'm like, <gasps> you know, I feel the same way he feels, but coming back from it out of the story, it's like, well, that's, why it, that's the way it well, has to end. You just read a 4,000-page series, and you're like, I have to start all over again, <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> Erica but at does, the, but, but I don't. But at the <laughs> same time, I, I always do, uh, but at the same time, whenever I finish any kind of series, even ones that are much shorter than this, the, the feeling that I feel after it's done is is bereft because it's over. Mm. Like, I've mm. reached the mm. end of this journey. What am I going to do with myself? And I usually actually have a couple of days after finishing something that momentous where I can't read anything else. I don't really want to watch TV because I just was so into this world right. and living sure. it with these characters. And this time, I, I, you, I wasn't left with that same feeling of being bereft because it was actually continuing to go on you know, without me, but like, I always want more. And this is the one series that ends where I have this feeling in my heart where there is more. It is actually continuing there in its world that actually exists because it's so meta. And, and yeah, so it it was, it was kind of in a way the easiest come down I ever had after reading something that made me feel so strongly and so much because it was, it, it just felt so poetic and perfect. It really is kind of a poetic ending for something that was originally based on a poem in the first place. Yeah. I've said before, I really enjoy bittersweet endings. And to me, this is such a great example of that, mm-hmm. which is just what Erica said. Like it's, it is 
it's got that horror aspect that John mentioned. That's sort of like tragic. Oh my god! Like he struggled this far only to have to go back to the beginning again, and, and, and yet he realizes it is a brief moment. Right? Exactly. He knows part. how many times he's been there before, and we don't know what happened in all those other incarnations in the past, right? We don't know. Maybe he never met some of his friends. Maybe they died earlier, right? Like maybe he didn't save some of these people. We don't. We don't know. We don't know how different each iteration is, and so there is a horror aspect to it, but there is also an inevitability and a hope aspect to it that yes if he had just i mean think about it if he had just had to go back to the beginning and he didn't get the horn we would all be super pissed (laughs) (laughs) but like because that's in there as this little thing like hey maybe this time is the time like it's just enough to make you feel like okay this could be it now i have a question for you guys not just sort of theoretical question so we didn't talk a little bit about how this is structured as it's after it's a coda right like it's given after the end oh they tell you they tell you not to not to go stephen king tells you not to read on do you think anybody doesn't read this like it's like four thousand pages in and it's like no you know what i'm good like i'm just gonna not gonna leave this last like 10 so pages I, I, i'm fine I, I think the most important part is not that people are gonna stop but that they're gonna think about it yes right mm-hmm. that they're gonna have a moment of pause and think am i sad i mean they know but like just just to make you think about it because i think that sort of that little tickle uh in between because like honestly especially if you spent essentially the majority of your life reading this series and you get to that point i did pause there and think like what was i expecting about you have you have the uh, choice and the option right like the point where it's like i could never read that like and i could but then you have the feeling like oh but what if i if i've left those pages unread for my entire life like what am i missing and and it's it's also scary because like is this going to end in some terrible way that i hate and i really should stop now and i'll totally regret reading this thing so i I did pause there that might have been the moment of the most the most suspense that i actually felt (laughs) of of all of it because i i did think about not going forward and it's like could i actually do that Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure we all did. It's deft. It is deftly done. Yep. So that yep. so the uh, if Stephen King were immortal, and for all we know, he is because he did survive being <laughs> hit by a van. I like to think that he would go back and rewrite these stories again and again with different versions, <laughs> exactly as we were just discussing, <laughs> because he seems incapable of staying away from this interconnected universe that he's made and. He already went back and revised the first book anyway, obviously, for just continuity reasons. It's kind of the type of thing that could be essentially eternally rebooted, kind of like the Zelda franchise, where you can just keep going back with the same settings and characters and different permutations and things can end up different ways over and over and over again. And and of course, to, to not spoil too much, but again, from the movie... In the movie version, Roland has the horn, mm-hmm. which is kind of how they get around the whole issue of why isn't this progressing exactly like the book? It's a different iteration. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to blow the horn again now, and this is the one where you just press back on your podcast player and listen to this whole episode again. Just keep cycling through. Try to find the, spot the differences. There aren't any. Yeah. All right. Well, seven books. I, I was glad I did it. I'm glad I revisited this series that I gave up on in the 80s or 90s or whenever, and I got to the end, and there was a lot of fun stuff in there. Yeah, me too. And yeah, me too. <laughs> Just keep looping around. All right. I would like to thank my guests for being here to talk about the Dark Tower. Dan Morin, go now. There are other worlds than these. Thank you, Sai, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Erica Ensign, thank you for the palaver. <laughs> yeah, there may be other worlds than these. There are also other podcasts than these. And John Syracuse, many other functions. 
Yeah, life was such a wheel that no man... Wait, no, sorry. Wrong mm. book. Don't want to spoil things. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this edition of The Incomparable and all the others. We'll see you next time. 